All right, so here. All right, well, welcome everybody to the new rendition of the NAFCO podcast, the Untitled Northern Appalachian Film Podcast. Here, would like to welcome Matthew Croyle, uh, a uh, man that has had a lot of influence in Western Pennsylvania film, uh, with the Oil Valley Film Festival that he's been hosting for quite a number of years now, in the late 2010s at least. Uh, the uh, but uh, and now he resides in New Orleans, Louisiana. So welcome on, Matt. How, how hey. are you? Doing? Hi, Perry. What's going on, dude? <laughs> well, a lot. But um, so I guess let's start off with talking about the uh, I want to start with talking off actually about your move to Louisiana. What spawned that? Because I know you've been a longtime resident of, of this area here. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the thing is, um we get to, I guess, maybe certain points in our life to where um, we need we need something different, and that's really kind of what this was for me. You know, I, I when I moved back to Pennsylvania, um, it would have been the early two thousands, and uh, spent a number of years there. Uh, my mom, what? Yeah, after my mom and dad had passed away, I spent a few more years there, and I realized that there's nothing really holding me there anymore, and. I would like to be out in, where a lot more life is happening. Um, and PA is always going to be home to me. Venango County will always be home to me. But, um, you know, when there's nothing there holding you there anymore, and especially when you're a creative person and you want to be around more creative people, uh, I think it was important for me to venture, finally venture back out into the world. Okay. Well, that's that's an interesting perspective there. Like, so, are you finding more like film work down in Pennsylvania? Oh, sorry, down in Louisiana, rather. Well, right now, with everything that's happening with the the uh, the uh, COVID outbreak, um, unfortunately, you know, there's not a lot of activity going on in the you know, I guess, the art scene uh, in any kind of really creative endeavors. Um, as a as a photographer, as a filmmaker, videographer. Um, I'm not getting any clients right now, so it's difficult, you know. I but it's difficult for everybody at this point. So I think as uh, as we open up and as we push through this as you know humans and uh, find our way out the other side eventually when that does happen, um, I do believe, you know, honestly that there, you know, I'll have a lot more work down here than I did back home. Uh, you know, just for the fact that I'm not in a rural area, there's a lot more clientele, there's a larger client base. Um, and, uh, they do shoot a lot of Hollywood flicks down here too. So like in the, there's a big independent film scene as well. And so that's kind of exciting. And I'm really looking forward to, you know, getting my hand in that and, and getting my, uh, getting my feet wet once we, uh, once we get back out into, into regular everyday life. Yeah. Um, NAFCO actually has had some, uh, like we have one personal contact towards, uh, well you now, but from the past. Uh, our, NAFCO's personal contact with the Louisiana film scene would actually be a guy whose real name is Charlie Brown, or Charles Brown IV, uh, who I plan to actually have on this podcast in the near future. Um, he He's actually a location scout manager for Louisiana, the Louisiana area. Uh, That's great. He, yeah, he did stuff. He did, like, all kinds of things. Um, his biggest name thing of recent was Logan, the film. The okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, great film. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he did all location scouting for that. He's got a lot of great stories that count came out of that. Uh, yeah, but, I, uh, uh, I'm just blown away by how how beautiful the area is. Speaking of location yeah, scouting, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I can imagine, like, I can imagine how how much he would enjoy that job just for the fact that just the, the area is just gorgeous. It really is. Yeah, yeah. But I'll save a lot of his stuff though for his own podcast. I'm just saying I understand what you mean by that. It has its own scene down there. I'm glad to hear. You're down there. How long have you been down there? I uh, I moved down at the beginning of, of uh, let's see here, was it February? It was the beginning of February. Okay, so, yeah. So now, now first I week see, of February. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. My birthday is the first week of February. Yeah. It's February three 1st. Now, three months. Yeah. But yeah, I get you. So where I'm going with that, though, is um, you, because I noticed I had thought you actually moved down there like last year, kind of mid to late last year. That's untrue. Now that that gives me kind of some insight to why you're saying how it's a little bit of a struggle right now with this whole the COVID nineteen right. situation. Yeah, that hit real shortly after. Yeah, you know, I was but, down here maybe like a like three or four weeks before it took off. So it's like within that first month, you know, I was still kind of trying to get settled in, and then all of a sudden it's like you have this you know, global pandemic hitting and it's like, oh, okay, so this is a little different and this is going to be a weird transition. But, you know, yeah, just got to kind of roll with the punches like anything else and and uh, hope for the best. Yeah, I know when I moved to Pennsylvania, it took me three weeks just to get my license transferred over. Oh, yeah. That's kinda, yeah, that was kind of a whole other situation, though, because um, I had lost my uh, wallet right before that, uh, before the move. So I only had like a paper temp ID. that they give you and uh yeah so and then like the state of new hampshire wouldn't send that the new id to my new address in pennsylvania because why would they do that right because if you're not going to be in new hampshire anymore they're not going to send you a new hampshire license so like yeah yeah, doesn't make any sense there was some good samaritan that actually found my wallet and gave it to the police oh that's great yeah so then my father was able to go get it and then (laughs) send it back of course i had to call the police and get it released and everything so yeah. anyway, my point I'm getting at here is that I understand what you mean by that that whole it it it's not like you just move someplace and bam you're there, and right? Bam, and I think everybody understands. Yeah, it's always it. a shift when you go to a new city or a new you know region and you're you're just trying to get settled, get your get your feet settled, get yourself settled into your surroundings, and so yeah, it was it it, it is a kind of a very strange thing considering what's happening in the world and. And like I said, just gotta, just kind of gotta deal with it. It's like anything else. Yeah. So, are you planning on? I, I've heard some rumbles. So you, you, you founded and have hosted the Oil Valley Film Festival up in, in Western PA here. That's in Oil yes. City, right? That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So we're in. Uh, we're actually in year five. This will be year five. Um, and you're planning on doing another one, correct? Uh, well, my plan is to come home every year to yeah. Western PA uh, because that's you know that's the way that the festival was designed. That was my my want for uh, starting the festival there to begin with is the fact that like I want to be able to bring movies from around the world from different cultures to Western PA for people to in, enjoy. And, and you know I don't even charge uh, a, an entry fee. There's no like I mean an entry fee as far as filmmakers yes, but like as far as like if you want to go watch a movie it's free. So, um, but any, yeah, obviously it's, it's, it's weird this year, um, because it's still kind of a 50, 50 shot of whether or not we're actually going to be able to do it in, 
physically, mm-hmm. which is a little scary. Um, and I was just on Lucas McNelly's new podcast talking about, you know, this because it's something that not only small film festivals have to um, have to deal with, but large events as well, like Sundance and uh, Cannes. And, and so even outside of the the realm of film you know especially with like live concerts and and sporting events and so you're you you know you there's a lot of places that are having to cancel or go online um and so i'm just going to kind of weigh the options as we move a little bit closer towards the date i'm going to have to probably make a decision relatively soon because it is scheduled for the beginning of september um but it's one of those things where i I'm not going to be responsible for people getting sick and possibly dying if I don't have to be. <laughs> yeah. So, so w- would you make the move to host this as an online format? I know NAFCO actually our our rock and reel festival that we do every August. Right. Yeah. We're, we're actually already prepping it to be an online festival. In fact, we're pretty much just deeming it an online festival at this point. If uh, it's a necessity, I think. If I do have to do it that way, it's only going to be temporary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's what we're planning on, too, is Rock and Roll to be this year to be a uh, an online festival. Right. Yeah, you might make a one-year one year online. Exemption or whatever to yeah. just put it online. Um, and But the thing is, you know, then when, when you're doing stuff like that, too, a lot of times now you're dealing with... Um, you're messing with like premiere status. You're messing with like, um, do we put do, do we put the movies behind a paywall? Do we not put the movies behind a paywall? Wouldn't that be up to the filmmaker if it's online as opposed to up to the festival? So there's all kinds of questions that you kind of have to ask yourself and, and take into consideration when. Uh, but again, you know, it's this is an unprecedented time, and it's it's you know it's like it's like the move. You know, it's something that you don't expect. Um, happening uh and so you again have to just kind of deal with it yourself and and figure out what what the best route is for everybody you know as you move forward with it i get you yeah um so now you usually have it was that like first week of september mm-hmm. yeah okay yeah that's you yeah um i believe yeah. we're the fourth fourth fifth and sixth uh this year okay all right good to know so um okay so yeah, you know, what's interesting, we were talking about your move, too. I thought you had, I misheard some stuff and thought you had moved to Los Angeles. And now I'm finding out, that, that like, I found out last week that that was completely untrue. Now, <laughs> were you, I know that you had talked about potentially moving to Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, what was it that changed your mind in that, in that sense? Because I, I know that when we had met personally, you had talked about meeting up with some people kind of, I guess north of San Diego, I think it was, stuff like that. Um, um, well, I mean, I, I was out there this past uh, this past March, so I, like a little bit a uh, little bit over a year ago was the last I was out there, and we had taken uh, my script, my pilot script for Circle Michigan out to do uh, live reading in front of some television executives, which was cool and everything, and I got to visit my friend Michael and was out there for about nine days and you know obviously i love la as a city and and you know ultimately that would be kind of a nice thing to do you know if eventually if i'm able to do that um but i do have a a friend here uh that uh that was going through some changes and it was just more 
for me, it was more um, feasible uh, to, you know, be like, hey, you want a roommate? Let's do this, you know? So, like, so we, uh, so we got to uh, have a little house on the Mississippi, and it's awesome. On the Mississippi, is it buggy down there? It is. Well, this time it, of it year. is. Is it yeah, still buggy it's, this it's, time of year? Yeah, it is right now. This is kind of okay. like the beginning of the, of that that kind of season, mm-hmm. and plus we're gonna get ready for hurricane seasons upcoming too as well. So that'll be interesting for my first first year down here to have to you know obviously deal with the possibility of hurricanes and stuff like that. And it's really funny because I'm 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 one of those people who has always been like very. I would always make fun of people for living where natural disasters occur yeah. uh, because, like, why would people want to live there anyway? And here I am, like, living in New Orleans where hurricanes happen. You know, Katrina came through here. So it's like, yeah, I've it's noticed, hilarious. I've noticed most places that have, because I'm also one of my little side hats that I wear as, as a geographer, and I've always noticed that most hubs of population live in areas that are susceptible to to natural disasters. Yeah, it's really strange. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, I mean, we all want to live on the coast, but the coast has, like, the most natural disaster possibilities, tsunamis and, you know, hurricanes and the right. whole nine yards there. And then, I mean, you have the more continental places, but then there's a lot of them are susceptible to earthquakes and, and tornadoes and yeah. all that. But then you get into spots that almost nobody lives at like western pa to some extent is very low on on uh, you know on their uh natural disasters yeah, it so still I think does have its it still does have its uh a kind of a mini tornado alley that 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 mm-hmm. pops up every once in a while yeah and so yeah and i've heard about that this is the first area i've lived where tornadoes are really feasible i, I i'm actually you know i'm from new hampshire and so where I was, there was even less natural disaster possibilities than here because I wasn't on the coast at all. Right. Um, so, it, like, it was there was like no seismic activity. There was no, you know, <laughs> far away enough from the coast. There was no tsunamis and everything. Right. So I can agree with you there that that when you live in an area that has none, it seems foolish to live in an area that has it. But then you know, here we are talking about Los Angeles. As this other potential hub for yeah. yeah, the amount of earthquakes and, and and honestly, it hasn't really happened, but a tsunami could hit. Oh, I, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I mean, they they actually feature that in uh, <laughs> uh, Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> nice, the, the new cool. game there. Yeah, <laughs> now just a little aside here is in GTA Five. Uh, it's one of those known things. If you look in a lot of places, you can see evidence. It's not actually told in the game, but you can see evidence that there was a... Uh, Something happened, yeah. Yeah, a tsunami had come through at some point. Cause it's That's all really cool. Stuff there. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, so, because that, that game takes place in a fictional version of Los Angeles. So, mm-hmm. anyway, so... Um, the... Yeah, do, do you ever play any video games, Matt? You don't strike me as the type. That's I, I am a giant Skyrim junkie. Skyrim junkie, huh? I am. I play. I play Skyrim every night. I'm on my third playthrough. <laughs> Only your third playthrough, and you play Only it every my night. Third. I do, yeah. Huh. See, I play a lot of Bethesda games, but I've kind of moved past Skyrim onto uh, Elder Scrolls Online for that. Yeah. Is that worth it? Is that worth going on and checking out? 
I think it is nowadays. I don't think it was when it first came out. Um, I spent like six years without a console. So yeah. when I got a console late 2018, well, ESO wasn't the first thing I popped on to. It was actually like late 2019. And I, I've since seen like reviews about like, is it worth getting onto in 2020? And, and everybody says it is. I, I've been playing it ever since it was like a full featured game that didn't yeah. have all the bugs and glitches. Are you and, able to uh, are you able to play multiplayer online? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean it's, oh, oh, ESO is like a totally online experience. Okay. Yeah, with everybody there like like it's a MMO kind of thing. Oh, but, very cool. So yeah, that's what I was asking. Yeah, it's it's actually it's pretty much taken most of uh, like the audience from uh, I'm trying to think of that game from the mid 2000s everybody was into. Um, it'll come to me. But uh, World of Warcraft. That one, thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, World of Warcraft. It's taken their audience for the most part. It, uh, there's there's still holdouts, but most yeah. of those people have moved on to ESO because it's done. It's a lot like it's like if you have an Xbox One X, for instance, it's like 4K and everything. Like what, yeah, what console no do, you, do you play on a console or do you just PC game? I PC. I have it on PC. Well, it's on PC too, so you Very have cool. that. Um, but yeah, I would highly recommend it myself if you're not that. I'll have to definitely check it out, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's that, and like, I've actually talked to, with uh, one of the podcasts previously about Fallout 76 a bit, because his film actually kind of corresponds with with uh, the whole theme of uh, Fallout 76 being in Western, Western yes. Virginia and post-apocalyptic. I'm sure you've heard of the Howitzer Tales with Michael Gaffner's project there. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yep. That game. That game. That's just. I'm just mentioning because it's another. But there's the game, and and it really coincides a lot with another filmmaker's sort of um, view that he has around here, which is a uh, his a uh, mission that he's trying to create. So yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting though, dude. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I, I remember. What what was the name of your film company there, Matt? Uh, well, for the longest time at home, uh, I had uh, I had One Fish Media. It was originally One Fish Films, and then it was rebranded to One Fish Media. And then uh, when I moved down here, we completely rebranded. So my my organization here um, is called Robot Blonde Productions, and uh, so that's what we're doing now. So what? I kind of see it. But what what is your logic to the name Robot Blonde? That's kind of personal, so I'd rather not discuss it. Oh wow! Okay, wow. Yeah. Huh? And yet you put it. Okay, that's okay. But it's interesting <laughs> that you put that as a public image. So every time somebody asks you why is that a name, you have to have that answer. I I have to it's not be able to answer it. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's okay. I and I'll respect that. I think everybody will. <laughs> but you have to. You're cursed to have to have that. That question. I mean, Correct. with me, I immediately think of of like the whole concept of the sheeple. I'll say like this is this is the fan theory now. I'm already creating. All right, okay. Here is sheeple <laughs> and like how like you got like the dumb blondes, it just robotically going around with their like bottle bleached hair and stuff. Just uh-huh, kind of that's great. Going around, yeah, 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 yeah. But what what was um I was always curious what the one fish media thing was about though I know that's your former name yeah maybe that's something you'd be willing to dive into I don't um, know um 
One Fish Media is representative of uh, of Pisces. I'm a Pisces, and uh, the fish represent Pisces. But there's, you know, obviously uh, only one of me. So you take you take one of the fish away, and you have one fish left over. So that's what that is. Yeah, that's kind of. <laughs> it's relatively simple and has a little bit of meaning behind it. I get you. Yeah, but that's actually it's a lot little more creative than my uh, Perry Film Co. Hey, you know what though? Like, there's nothing wrong. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah, well, most people use their last name when they're creating a film company or like a company name where they're just trying to Mm -hmm. poop one out, I guess. And uh, there was some logic there because my last name is Langell, and it's spelled kind of funky, L-A-N-G-I-L-L. And so when you look at that, it's kind of it's hard harder to spell harder to remember for a url that was my yeah. main concern was url right. remembrance and so when or rememberability i guess however you want to call that or memorability that's the word i'm looking for here so when you have that and you uh like perry is just a lot easier to spell a lot easier to remember than langel I, is that's my thought too. Plus, there's not too many Perrys that I meet. I mean, the only one I actually really I think know you are the only Perry I know. Really? Okay. Well, thank you. He's the only <laughs> Perry I know actually is another artist in in the Dubois area, Perry Winkler. He has an art gallery here in town. Okay, that's absolutely to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so so that's why I chose that. But you have a lot more creativity going on there. Uh, with the whole like going into astrology with it um yeah i, I find so are you a big believer in astrology yourself no, no. i'm not no okay. yeah <laughs> okay all right well like i'm an aquarius and what i've noticed the only thing that might be kind of has anything to do with it is like i enjoy mopping and uh, well that's interesting you're yeah. a, you're a water you're also a water sign i guess so yeah 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 yeah, maybe that's the thing. reason. Maybe that's the reason I I love bodies of water. <laughs> I don't like uh, being in bodies of water because I have this phobia if I cannot see the the bottom of whatever body of water I'm in. But I like being around them. Okay. Well, does that mean you like being in like small streams though? I can I can I can work with creeks and and swimming pools. I can do that, but uh, you know, you get me out into a lake, and if I'm not in a boat, there's a problem. I get you. So, <laughs> if, have you been? Um, have you noticed in Western PA, there's this kind of slang term where they call things cricks? Yeah, like they they do that over in Oil City too, or did they? Yeah, it's they usually yeah, it, it, Venango. That's definitely a Venango County thing as well. Crick instead of you know Creek. Yeah, I just find that to be weird because it doesn't make any like phonetic sense when you read the word. How no, you... not at all because it's not a word. But <laughs> apparently, you know, in in parts of Pennsylvania, it is. Um, yeah, the dialect is really really a strange. A strange monster in and of itself and i think as creators and people that are kind of out in in putting art out into the world or presenting themselves online and stuff uh, you'll find you'll find a lot of times artists and um public figures will try to um they'll try to correct that if they're you know like in a public forum or something um because it does confuse people sometimes well (laughs) 
Yeah, well, non-dialect is it's it's interesting you mention that because uh, like when they say like was it um, non-dialect? Uh, well, whatever. Anyway, the the broadcast media dialect is a dialect itself. It's actually based off of Correct. the area. Yeah, you must know what I'm talking about from I Rochester, do. New York, over to basically almost Detroit. There, it's like the Great Lakes dialect is what yes. you consider non-dialect jurisdiction. I know what you're I know what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, yeah, my I, mother, my mother used to. Uh, she used to say things like "wash the clothes," um, which I always thought. In, in like, if you were in Pittsburgh, it wasn't Mount Washington; it was Mount Washington. Like, so, yeah. like these these weren't even. They're not even words, but in Pennsylvania, parts of Pennsylvania, they they are words. So, yeah. What's <laughs> up with? Is there a Mount Washington in New in in um, sorry in uh, in Pittsburgh? Because I saw Mount Washington Park on a map. Yeah, that's correct. It must not be that big of a mountain because the largest mountain in East Mississippi is Mount Washington in New Hampshire, which I've, I've been to the Right, top. yeah, it's not an actual mountain. It's obviously, you know, one of the foothills of the Appalachians, but, like, just mm-hmm. as, far as, uh, as far as a name goes, uh, it's, it's called Mount Washington, yeah. Yeah, and it's the same name. They kind of stole <laughs> it. Excuse I, me. I'm, I'm, as a granite stater... Or former Granite Stater, I don't really appreciate the theft of the name, but right. <laughs> uh, where I guess. Well, I you know at one point uh, Washington George Washington went through Pittsburgh, um, uh, and I think that's what it was named for his his visit through there. Uh, originally, if I'm correct, I could be completely off on this, but I think I'm right about it. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about podcasts and we, you end up talking about things that we have no real, uh, no, authority great, on, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just kind of a general, general discussion and you, you end up realizing how, how much you do know and how much you don't know. Right. See, like, then, I mean, if I, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of winging it. So like, if I'm wrong, if somebody wants to comment, you know, whenever you post this online and be like, that dude's totally wrong, then I'll be like, well. I guess I was totally wrong then. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Um, Got to be able to admit your uh, your shortcomings when they come up. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Yeah. Um, so, Matt, what films have you actually made? I know that you had one feature last time I saw you, you had one feature length there, the one that you yeah. stripped the. Uh, did you film that? Well, first of all, what what is it? And also, my follow up question is: Did you strip the? Um, did you film in black and white, or did you actually in post strip the uh, strip the color out? Okay, so you're talking about my my feature film potential inertia, which yep. actually came out back in 2014. Okay, um, it's had kind of a little bit of an extended life. Uh, it it played at uh, for the um, liftoff film festivals, um, uh, first time filmmakers sessions this past month, and it was also. Uh, it also played at uh, the Bedford, as part of the Bedford Falls Film Festival, which is an all black and white film festival uh, this past month as well. So, like, even you know, six years later, almost almost six years later, um, five and a half years, um, it still has kind of this like this extended life to it, which is pretty cool. Uh, you know, I guess that just you know shows that I mean, the story resonates in one way or another. Um, you know that, that it kind of kind of transcends it doesn't hold specific to a time period or anything like that so that's really nice but um your 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 question there was um it was it was 
designed to be black and white, but we did shoot in color and it was pulled. Everything was pulled and, and then corrected in post as far as matching and everything else to try to, you know, um, there was a small post-production company in New York that I used to do that. And they did the best they could as far as, as far as that's concerned. And, and it was, yeah, it's, it's designed, you know, and obviously I'm going to spoiler alert here for everybody uh, who hasn't, hasn't seen it. Um, the last shot in itself is in color in the film and, and it's not even oversaturated, but your eyes, when you're watching the film, your eyes aren't ready for it. So when it actually does come up, it feels completely oversaturated because the whole movie up to that last shot has been in black and white. So like, it's kind of overpowering when it, when that image hits you for the first time. But, um, well, I mean, I've done, I've done quite a bit of things over the years. Uh, it's it's interesting. I you know I did I, when I was a when I was younger. I was I was uh, more of an actor. I grew up on stage, um, doing plays and musicals and things like that. So like my early kind of foray uh, into being on sets and things like uh, the first movie set I was ever on was um, for the film Juana Man when I lived in Charlotte. I don't know if you really? remember that movie. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it, but I always remember the South when South Park referenced it. And like, yeah, like you know, man? no, not like in Juana, man. <laughs> so yeah, that was the first. That was the first movie set I was ever actually on, and uh, and it was pretty cool. And and uh, I worked a couple of days on that just as a crowd extra at uh, Char- the old Charlotte Coliseum. Okay. And um, yeah, moved back to PA. Uh, in the early 2000s there, and then um, uh, f- I guess I worked as an extra on a couple of sets. Uh, I was on um, Adventureland, uh, played one of Ryan Reynolds' friends in a scene, um, Zach and Mary Make a Porno, that was Kevin Smith movie. You're in Zach um, and Mary, I've seen Zach and Mary Make a Porno. Yeah, a lot of people I, were four days, I worked four days on that, that was fun, just because, yeah. you know, I, I just wanted to be, because, you know, I... I I grew up watching Kevin Smith. Um, he's only, you know, a half a decade older than me. Um, and so, like, just as a writer and, you know, I've always been a, a Kevin fan. So, like, when that came around, I, like, um, I had I had met Katie Cheneau, who uh, is one of the casting directors at Nancy Mosser Casting, on, um, on Adventureland itself. Because she was actually, we hung out and played games all day and stuff because she was actually an extra in that too just to be on set and stuff like that so Mm. um katie uh i I messaged katie and i said if you guys get the kevin smith movie i said please just let me come down and be on set and she's like we already got it i'll call you when i need you and i was like that's awesome very cool oh sweet so yeah i was able to just go down and just to be on set um for those two flicks and this this came out in like 08 Oh nine, I think back to back years. Um, I think we shot both in oh seven, oh six or oh seven or something like that. Um, but just to be on set uh, for both of those, and they're two um, very different sets. Um, Adventureland was a little bit bigger budget. Zach and Mary was you know smaller budget, um, more laid back set. Uh, or you know while you're on set than Adventureland was, but. Um, those two movies are really what, um, really kind of what pushed me to go. All right, I need to just do more of this. 
I just need, you know, I just felt at home on set for some reason. And, you know, having not really ever done a lot of movies before, you know, obviously before all that was, was, uh, was, uh, theater and, and stuff in college and, and growing up. And so that really gave me the bug and I'm like, let's just make some things. So that's where, that's where it all started. So, you know, I, I did a web series, um, that came out in 2011 that we ended up taking to LA web fest in 2012. Um, that was fun to go out to Los Angeles and take that out there to screen. Uh, my, uh, my feature came out in 2014 and then, uh, you know, just being on set for a couple of other things after that, um, such as like, and I've done like little web shorts and things like that too, um, that are fun, just fun to do. But, uh, yeah, after my feature came out, um, I went down and worked on a couple other things in Pittsburgh, um, fathers and daughters with Aaron Paul and Amanda Seyfried and, and, um, yeah, I just like being on set. I mean, I don't want to, I don't, you know, on those, on those big kind of Hollywood movies, I don't want to do anything other than just kind of take in the atmosphere because it's just fun to watch people work and be in their element. And, uh, especially when you're, when you're watching people like Aaron Paul and Amanda Seyfried work, you know, so that's pretty cool. Uh, there's, there's a movie coming out this year, uh, Seth Rogen's new flick, uh, an American pickle, uh, went down and spent a day on that as well. Um, been doing a lot of music video uh, work recently. So for a friend of mine over in Jersey, who's a solo artist, uh, I uh, directed a couple of music videos for him. One one came out in 2018. We just put one out this year as well. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's different, you know, and it's not your regular everyday life. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously you kind of try to supplement any kind of uh, work that way with, you know, or I do anyway with, you know, photography and, uh, and which I love. That's like the huge passion of mine is, is photographs. And unfortunately, you know, like I said, things are slow right now with it, but as we, as we move through all this, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that'll all pick up and, and I'll be able to start meeting some new creative people down here once we can go back out in public again and, kind of get involved uh in in any way i can yeah well well good luck to you on that i appreciate but, it yeah yeah but um you you were saying about american pickle yeah were you yeah i mean that that's is that a play on words on american pie or is that just trying to do their own thing um well i don't know if i can talk about it without giving away uh, too much well i mean i'm well, sure i can I, I i mean i had to sign an nda uh because it was a sony flick um but I think it's been already been talked about publicly. Um, it's just it's about uh, uh, a guy who uh, turn of the century works in a, a pickle factory. Okay. And ends up getting ends up falling into uh, one of the vats and gets pickled for a hundred years and wakes up. <laughs> oh, how weird! And so it's kind of you're going to be looking at the you know obviously the differences in headspace between uh, present day America and America from a hundred years ago. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Sort of a fish out of water. Yeah, a fish out of water movie. So yeah, it'll be pretty interesting. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. So uh, were, so you were an extra on that. You're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I just went down for a day and worked on it. 
Yeah, we're, that was that. So was that in the last couple of months, like during all this going on, or what, no? Oh, that right was before, that would have been. I'm trying to think of when we would have went down. I think it was. I think it was would have been like November of 2018, if I'm correct. Okay. Is when, uh, okay. Is when, when that was shooting. Wow, that's then they had to go back. They, Yeah, they had to go back and do reshoots too on it for certain sequences and stuff like that. And plus, you know, with everything happening now, um, a lot of releases are getting pushed back because you can't really release anything to a theater when the theaters aren't open. And Indeed, so, yeah. so yeah, it ultimately got pushed back, you know, more. So I'm I'm hoping it 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 does drop this year. I think I think Seth put something online. I think I might have been on his Instagram that it, it actually is um, going to be released, but I think it's going direct to uh, video on demand, uh, probably like Netflix, probably like, you know, that those, those kind of outlets and stuff like that. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I've noticed too, that there, there's this uh, big thing where they're doing the whole at home premiere style of, yeah. of, of things there, like what you're talking about, but where they're kind of charging more than I'd like to pay. It's a deal if you have a large family, but if sure. you're a single guy, it's not much of a deal to rent the movie for twenty bucks when that's like double what the theater what ticket the, would have cost. They're renting movies for twenty dollars. Yeah, that's what they've been doing lately for the like home premieres. Oh my! At God. least on like the Xbox store. Yeah, things like um, and it's always the movies. I've actually seen a few articles on this, and they're saying how. It's like the the movies that have a lower production cost, mm-hmm. like the lower budget movies are being released right now. For instance, things like Troll Trolls World Tour. It's not really my cup of tea, but that was one of the ones that they did the at home release. Okay. And uh, I think Bloodshot. That that movie is more interesting to me, but it's the lower uh, lower budget films. But the films like like the Bond movie that's coming out and right. things like that that are higher higher budget, they're actually just pushing those back because they they just can't afford to lose that theater money. Right. They're, yeah. It, yeah, they're pure they're looking to get as much as they can out of it. So um just because they know they're not going to make it back in the, in the current circumstances. Yeah, I like and even honestly like I wouldn't even want to be on a set right now. Like that would just be so scary, um, with everything you know in its current state. I just I couldn't deal with it. Like and and you know we throw back again once again to the my you know my film festival coming up in September, and I'm like I'm like again I don't want to put people into a room yet together if I don't have to do that uh, or you know or if it's not safe. And so, like, I, I mean, I get it, but, like, yeah, the, the entertainment um, world right now is kind of flipped upside down when it does come to, like, movies and premieres, and and it's just, it's so, so strange. Yeah, well, this is also the first the first economic event that's had, had a huge negative impact on filmmaking. Film is considered a uh, recession-proof yeah, uh, industry. So, like, apparently, when it's not this, a pandemic-proof industry, though. Yeah, and, that, and that's that's a important distinction. Turns out, yes, very much. Uh, yeah, um, which um, it's uh, it's unfortunate for it's unfortunate for so many other industries, but films really taking a hit. I mean, the one thing that has afforded us is things like this podcast, which I've been wanting to actually start up before this happened, like 
just before this pandemic hit, I was mm-hmm. I was pitching this podcast idea to my fellow NAFCO members and such, and then and then this happened, and we all just kind of said, well, let's let's just start doing it because what else do we have to bring people right now? And the answer was, well, this podcast. So that's why we we started on this. I know, right? It, it's 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 yeah. it's weird, yeah, like you were saying, because like you said, it seemed like it, you know, it would be recession proof and obviously it's not pandemic proof and it's the one thing the 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 weird strange part about it is it's the the one thing that can keep people entertained either via you know like music like you is great you have individual artists that can have the capability to sit in their homes and record new material and put it out to the world all you know all day long but when you're making a movie you need more you need people to be together Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate because it's the it's the stuff that is designed to entertain us in a situation like yeah. this happening, and mm-hmm. we're unable to do it for people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, now I, what I'm I've been doing is actually catching up. I've actually caught up, but catching up on all the uh, Oscar Best Picture nominees that I've been wanting to see from this past Oscars. Oh, that's great. Um, or past Academy Awards, I should say, because I, I you know I should be using the proper terms here. Um, now the thing, like, I, have you seen Parasite yet, Matt? I love it. Yeah, it was man, my favorite. It was my favorite film from that year. Absolutely wonderful movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I at first I was kind of like, okay, like, well, it just, it, it was a black horse to me, but I didn't know at the time that it won cons and that it, which, and it's the first foreign language film to win Best Picture at the Academy Awards. So when I, I. I when I saw it go up there, I was like, yeah, okay, they slapped it on there. For a but I, I really didn't see it winning. And then, uh, man, once I watched it, I was like, I, yeah, I can see why it won. Like, one hell of a script there. Um, but, yeah, uh, I forgot what I was really going to get at there, but that's oh, the camera. The camera work oh. in that movie is so yeah. precise to me. And so, I mean, it's it's... It's almost kind of it's almost up there with like a Fincher film, um, and the thing that I'd love about it is is um, they did do a special uh, release to theaters when they were able to um, that was like a temporary run, um, but they showed the movie in black and white, and I was like, oh my god, that would be absolutely amazing. So I literally dropped the color out of it. And sat here, uh, it was right after I first moved down, and sat here and watched it in black and white. And you, you, you can just see, so you're not, you're not distracted by color anymore when you do something like that. And the cinematography in and of itself, once you drop the color out of it to really like look, watch the camera work and look at how the movie uses a camera, it's really, really amazing. So like, I recommend doing that if you have the capability to do that. Well, you are really kind of a. I feel like you're almost a little obsessed with the theory of just black and white film, and I don't blame you. I, I've done black and white before myself. Usually, that's actually restricted by just the cost and um, right. and filming things on on real film. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I do that, I prefer black and white. One thing is cost; you're cutting costs in half. The other thing is that the look that you get. Um, Tri-X black and white 60 millimeters is actually mostly what I've used in the past. But, Very um, cool, yeah. Yeah, um, and I'm also a big supporter of, of, of real film, uh, you know, and I would hate for Kodak to fully go under, and I really don't like that they've had to limit 
the stocks that they put out. Right. Uh, but um, so what I, you've already kind of touched upon it, but so you're a big fan of, of limiting the distraction of color from film. And it's almost kind of nowadays sort of a novelty to be able to do that. Uh, you know, so is that really kind of what you're after or is there more to it to you than just that? I mean, I guess it just depends on uh, what the filmmaker's doing or what the filmmaker's trying to say. Me personally, like, I, I don't really have a preference. Um, I do I do have, there is a soft spot in my heart for black and white because I remember just growing up and watching old black and white movies with my mom and dad and stuff like that. So, there, you know, there is there is that kind of love for it. Um, in a sense, but and then again, you look at the the theory of it, of how, you know, capturing uh, a moving picture, uh, you know, onto uh, onto uh, film, it's it's all it's all lighting, it's it's all light. That's all photography is is light. And so, for me, there's mm-hmm. a purity to black and white if it's done well, and mm-hmm. I think that I think that's that's kind of an important thing that we, uh, that we recognize that, uh, as fans of art or as fans of photography in and of itself. Um, and then, you know, obviously you're just utilizing that as a moving image, uh, when it comes to film. So. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. You're very much one of those old school. Did you go to school for film or something? You, you talk I did not like actually. Um, you talk like somebody classically trained as well. Cause we talk a lot about how it's photography but you know just one after the other and so what does that do to photography when you view photography over a period of time and i think that the filmmaker that plays with time time the most really is christopher nolan with with just the concept of of it being an image placed over time but uh and that's a whole thing that could be another separate like that could be an entire yeah that could be an entire (laughs) podcast in and of itself yeah um, um, no, I actually, I, I, my degree, uh, I have a Bachelor of Science in Speech Communication and Theater uh, with a focus in interpersonal communication. And I've studied rhetorical theory and stuff like that. But the artistic side of it is um, I've always been obsessed with movies. And, you know, it's like anything else when you, when you love something so much. Uh, you take the time to learn and understand as much about it as you possibly can. And I think that's, I think that goes for anything, whether that's cooking or um, animals or, you know, it could be any subject that you could think of. But I think, you know, just personally, as somebody who loves film, I think it's important for me to understand it as much as I possibly can, uh, especially if I'm, if I'm going to go out and try to make something. So, uh, you know, and it's, it's, you're always learning more. You can never learn enough. And, and yeah, I just think it's imperative to be versed in, in, in something that you're doing. And, and, uh, so you can, uh, understand your process better if you understand the process better. Yeah. Well, that all makes sense. <laughs> That's well put. And I guess it makes sense coming from your degree that it would be well put. Um, it's interesting though to to study rhetorical theory. I, I didn't know that that itself was that uh, was that like a subset of your degree, like a specialization. Uh, yeah, that and the interpersonal comm. Yes. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Well, I've always known you to be a talker. So. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I 
I, I, I talk too much to a lot of people. Uh, I've been told in the past, and that's part <laughs> of why I wanted to do this podcast, and, and that's part of why people thought that you would be a good person for my format versus Ed's format that's, that's a lot more... Uh, structured or whatever yeah, yeah. A, lot, a lot more structured yes exactly well, hey, I, I know i really do i appreciate you having me having me on well yeah that wasn't looking for praise there but thank you um and thanks for coming on but uh the uh i did want to get though i wasn't trying to end the podcast either there but uh what um <laughs> i was just talking just, we just got talking about your degrees there yeah uh, which is interesting. Where where did you go to school? Is that Penn State? What's Clarion University Clarion. of Pennsylvania? Yeah. Classic yeah. Uh, classic state school, state system of higher education. It's a, it's a state school. I thought Clarion was a private. Clarion is a state school. Oh geez. Huh. Yeah. Okay, because yeah, I, I know of it just being just down the you know down the street. On it's I-80. just down the pike. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. They pretty much my favorite thing about Clarion is the. Uh, the Chinese buffet that they have there. It's like oh, a, yeah, that's awesome. Well, it's like a Japanese buffet almost. I don't, yeah, so you know, it's a core. It's an Asian yeah. place. That's all yeah. I know. I, I, I don't know if it's Thai. I don't know if it's Japanese yeah. or Chinese, but they have, I mean, it's a buffet. And if it's an Asian or I guess Eastern, I guess I could say buffet, it's going to have everything anyway. And so it's like you just take your pick of whatever and stuff your face because it's amazing food and mm-hmm. go to town. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a sushi. When I hit one of those up, I'm always aiming for the sushi. Oh yeah. And and, and I what I try to do is I take the sushi. I get this trick to maximize, maximize my uh, to pretty much limit their profits almost. <laughs> and uh, this it, you it's want your really money's flashy. worth is what you're saying. Yes, yeah, yeah, so that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and uh, my biggest bang for the buck, all those kind of phrases. Yeah. What I'm doing is, and I wouldn't do this on a first date. I wouldn't go to a buffet on my first date anyway, because it's just like it's just nobody wants to see that. Um, so <laughs> because what I do is I take the uh, a sashimi, which mm-hmm. is a little different than the sushi. You know, it's the one that has. I'm just explaining for our viewers here is that it's got the uh, the sticky rice and then the piece of fish laid on top, versus sushi, which is like the seaweed rolled up roll of of with raw fish in it. This is the raw fish on top of the, the sticky rice. So the thing is, though, is I take the sticky rice and I slice off about half of what's on there. And then I, I use that and, you know, dip it in you know wasabi and dip that in soy and, and eat it like that. And so I'm limiting how much of the uh, just the rice that I'm taking in and getting getting mostly raw fish. And that way I can have like three full plates of that stuff. And at that point, I don't know if they even made money off me. They probably did because they're getting bulk <laughs> prices on that fish. But still, it's like it, it's a little silly because I've even had had um, some of the uh, wait staff just kind of look at it, look at this plate that I'll build up that's just rice, and they just kind of look at it like what a waste, you know. And then I've even had some say not empty and things like that to me <laughs> when I try, go when I say, oh no, I'm done with that too. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> like no you have to eat it all man oh man <laughs> it's something about because i've actually seen some stuff about it's actually really bad um that where i'm from there was actually a known building because it's a small area up in new hampshire where they have a uh, uh like a, an apartment complex that's all just 
just Asians that are actually uh, indentured servants that they ship oh, into so Asia. Horrible. What is yeah, happening with this sh- world? Yeah, exactly. And they ship them in. This was going on at least in the mid two thousands. I don't know if it's still going on, but they were shipping them in, and then like, they would work. It's like at- it's like um, uh, uh, anonymous call to the FBI. You know, like immediately, like. Yeah, see, I I was only a kid when I knew about this. Right. And I didn't know where it was. I just had heard about it. And I guess there was some police involvement, but they were having some struggle getting anywhere because people, it was like a system they had built. It was it was way larger than just the local police force. You know, yeah. this was probably going to require federal, um, federal jurisdiction to step in. So the thing is, is that um, it, it wasn't just there. This was kind of like going on all over the place, I guess. And, and so they were sending them over. And they were basically forced to work off their debts by serving the Americans at, at these Asian places. And it made sense. It actually made sense because even in, in this area of Pennsylvania, it might make sense. But there's a very small portion of Asians in the area. Um, most of them – and how do we have a steady stream of Asians that were working at, at the Chinese buffets? Well, this is how they had that going on. Which honestly, I wouldn't mind if there was there was local actual locals working at the buffet, but it, it was a matter of that it was almost free labor that they were getting to do that. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah, yeah, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. But that's why you notice that, like, when they barely know English and they're there doing it, it's like how they why, why are you know when you think about it though, Matt, like why are you, you? I'm sure even the small towns that just had an Asian buffet with with people that could barely speak English that were there. And like, you got to think about why are there all these people, um, filling up the labor for, for there. Cause it, it, you can't imagine that they're all just like busing over here. They're not busing, but you know, getting on a boat or getting on a plane and coming just to work at the buffet. Just to work at a buffet. Yeah, you're correct. You, you yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird, uh, it's, it's a weird kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're realizing there's some. I'm, I'm getting the vibe that you, you see what I'm there's talking. Some, about. Yeah, there's some. There's yeah. something dark, darker going on there. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to fester on too much, but it is. It's not good, and it's a weird thing that's going on there. I don't know if it's been cleared up at all. To my understanding, it might still be going on, but it's way bigger than. I think than you just us. talked me out of going to any jumbo buffet <laughs> for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, well, I've seen some Asian places that are actually ran by. By just, just like Caucasian Americans, and it's like the same food and everything, and they they just opened up a place and they just didn't have a connection into this thing, nor did they have a desire to get involved in this whatever right. that is, yeah. and uh, so yeah, it, it's weird, um, but but yeah, um, <laughs> that we might want to get off of of that topic because it's kind of <laughs> kind of dirty. It's, Plus, I don't know much. It's just it, creepy. That it, it occurs. Yeah, you you never thought about it before, did you? Matt? No, I didn't. Until yeah, right yeah. now, and now I'm really uncomfortable. Yeah, sorry. So, well, it's I don't okay. think I make people uncomfortable, but it, it's just it's just sort of a nitty part of society. Um, but um, so yeah, you talked about the films that you've made, and uh, now your general projects. I know one time I spoke to you, and you were working on a a project though. That was just kind of like, kind of industrial. It sounded like, like it was uh, commercials. What have you done any uh, 
just like editing work for commercials, anything like that? Yeah, I did do uh, this past year. I did a spot for uh, actually a, t- a, a t- television spot for uh, the a national TV spot for the um, um, the National Fireworks Association, which was kind of really cool. Um, uh, Bob Kellner, who has Kellner's Fireworks in in Pennsylvania, uh, they're based out of Barkeyville down there. Uh, he actually sits on the board of the National Fireworks Association, and uh, he hit me up on the, on LinkedIn one day and said, "Hey, Matt, uh, the national company needs uh, needs some some work done. Uh, do you think he could do this stuff for us?" And I said, "Well, shoot me an email and give me the information that you you know of what you would need, text backs, you know, a length of commercial, that kind of stuff." And so I put together a, a commercial spot for them, which was really nice, and that's the first. First uh, piece that I've ever done, you know, for a national organization, which was really interesting and kind of rewarding, and 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 it was it was um, it was nice for me, you know, made me feel good that somebody came to me and and wanted me to be you know part of that. So that was that was cool. Um, you know, I don't I don't do much editing work for other people and. It's something that I would like to do a lot more of. Um, I know there's a lot of of uh, I know there's a lot of just just editors out there. So I don't necessarily think I would want to take work away from people that are trying to make a living right now, especially in, in you know with the present situation, um, editing things. So like let them let them do all their work, whatever. But you know, eventually, you know, it, you know, it is nice to to get asked to. To cut stuff, so it's just an unfortunate thing that I I don't cut more because I I do like editing it. There's one one part of my skill set that I that I am pretty confident in. It's my editing skills. So yeah, I can see that. Um, you uh, you what am I looking for here? So do you do projects <laughs> though? Generally, how how frequently, or maybe not how frequently. Do you do projects for other people? Like, do you usually do it like like kind of the vertical style where you just you actually pre-production shoot post the whole nine yards for a project when you get something from somebody else? Because I know that you, you've been sort of conscripted for, uh, or at least I've been told you were conscripted for like some music videos and right other commercials and such. So you usually um, do the whole process. It sounds like not just edit. Right. Uh, yeah, when we're, you know, the, the two music videos that I've done for, for my buddy Rand, um, we've gone through, uh, uh, well, the first one was just him. He was, he was the only person in the music video. So like there was no casting involved in that or anything, but, uh, it was just a matter of figuring out a good day to shoot and, and going and shooting. And then obviously, you know, going to post with it. Um, He'd already had the you know the track recorded and everything, so it's not like you know we had to like re-record or do anything like that. Um, and this last uh, the last music video I did for him uh, was a video called "Car in the Rain" for his song "Car in the Rain." And um, you know, obviously, I, I had to reach out online um, for submissions for actors because I needed I needed actors to be in it. And so you know, you go through the whole the whole process of the of casting and finding the right people that, you know, that, that he's comfortable with, you know, being in the music video. Cause ultimately it's his music video. So he's going to have to, you know, pretty much approve everything. 
Um, he's the one paying the actors. He's the one, you know, so it's like, um, so I'm, I'm walking through it. Um, not only as the director, but uh, you know, I'm, I, I have, I have to have my producer hat on at the same time to where I'm, I'm involved in, in everything, uh, with it, with him. And, you know, obviously, him acting as executive producer as well because it's ultimately his music video and it's for you know him and his band and so yeah i mean i like being involved in when i'm doing something where my name is going to be on it um i like to be involved uh in in as many steps of production as i possibly can although i will say i wouldn't mind you know, just getting hired to direct an episode of something and just, you know, doing my doing my regular directorial research, showing up to set every day, shooting the damn thing, and then going home at the, at, you know, every night and get them next, next day, go back in and, and until it's done and, and then uh, wipe my hands of it. Because, you know, even that's fun sometimes because then you're not as, you're just there, you're doing your job and then uh, you're, you can kind of just let it go. Um, and however it ends up turning out uh, isn't all on you. Um, I think when we're, the more we're involved in something, the more responsibility we have for the final product, uh, for the final images, for, you know, the final movie, the final whatever. Um, and that's a lot of weight to carry sometimes. Um, I, I, I hear you. I, I remember there was this project one of the projects I was involved in in college, there was it was a large project, and I, I don't talk about it very much because it didn't do well. And the we had this director that was very gung ho, and he just constantly uh, like ha- had kind of a control issue. Mm-hmm. And, and so by the time it was done, the thing, well, it wasn't even done by the time it was actually done. It had to be shown in, like, bits and pieces to this room where it just was not received well, and I don't blame the audience at all. And the thing is, the the, the professor of that project said that, here's the thing, directors, when things go right, they end up with all the credit, but when things go bad, they end up with all the blame. And so that's that's kind of what you're getting at though is that you don't really love to be in the position where all the potential blame is on you too but so you you're you're at least self-aware of that well i think that it's important if i may energy i think that's it's an important thing i think for filmmakers who like if you're making your first movie um i think it's important to be involved and to have your hands in uh as much of it as you possibly can because that way you're you are responsible for taking uh taking blame for what goes wrong like i I think that's an important learning uh step for film for every filmmaker um if you're working on your first feature be you know hands in everything go do it because you're you're forced whatever doesn't work you're forced to take responsibility for that and it makes you I think a better filmmaker, uh, you know, maybe on your next project because you learned what didn't work and what did work. Well, you're right. I, I see your point there. I mean, film itself is a, a giant practice of trial and error. At least the development of a filmmaker right. is is all trial and error. So you end up, you're right in that sense that 
if you don't if you don't take the risk there's no there's no that none of the benefits and also you can't learn from your mistakes that you never made because you right. never made the attempt so i i agree with you there um but yeah it, there's also but you yourself it sounds like you, you you have an understanding of the 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 parts that are at play the cogs that are spinning and you don't necessarily you don't always want to be the key cog of of, of the machine because film it, filmmaking is a machine is that what you're saying that you don't yeah, always I mean want it's to be that it's cog? such a collaborative process I think I think I think we can be successful and we can be content um, in doing an enjoyable and hardworking job at one thing in the entire you know process because it really is a collaborative such a collaborative medium that there's a lot I think a lot of people that put too much pressure on themselves when it comes to uh, directing a movie or um, because they want they want to they want to be in control of everything and I don't I don't know if that's necessarily healthy and I don't know if it's healthy for um, I don't know if it's healthy for uh, an individual project uh, I don't think it's healthy for the final outcome of a movie um, there is there is that that saying that and it's a saying for a reason that you know uh, two heads are better than one three heads are better than two heads four heads are better than three heads because I think the the more people um, you have around you uh, that are maybe specialized in specific areas, I think uh, you put all of those pieces together, and the final product is this. You know, the sum is greater than than uh, than its parts. So, yeah, I get you. Well, Orson Welles put it my favorite way of putting it with in. Uh, as it works with film, he says that every I have to think about it. oh. every artist has their tool: a writer, a pen, a painter, a brush, a filmmaker, an army. Yeah, yeah. very true. It's very, very true. Yeah, yeah. It's probably my favorite. That's a great quote. Line. Yeah, quote that of all time. Honestly, you know, and this but, is coming from this is coming from uh, you know the guy who made Citizen Kane. Who was you know, which is. Which is understood to be, you know, granted he had a lot of people around him making that film, but uh, you know that was that that was his movie. That's really that's all him out there on the. And he was only what twenty four when that when when that was released or when it was yeah, made. Yeah, ridiculously young. I it's mean, I yeah, I, I don't understand how the man did so much so young, honestly, because he was also in like a th I think he had a theater company going on. I'm not yep. sure if he. I think he was pretty much the head of that too, and everything. In some ways, I'm a little jealous of it, but at the same time, uh, life is what it is. You got to kind of just roll with the punches. It's just you know? so it's so fun to to sit down and pull up. Like even if you go on YouTube and pull up like old school uh, interviews with Wells, and uh, just you know, even at different points in his career, just you could just see how how fast his brain is turning inside of what he's, you know, like behind what he's saying with what he's actually saying um, in an interview. And you could just, you can, you can see that there's so much happening inside that man's head 
uh, and so it's always it's always fun to go back and do that. And you know, he he was he was one of those people that was really able to you know, and as his first movie, he was really able to revolutionize even things when it came to um, moving moving cameras and placing cameras in certain in certain places. You know, like because he would have these ideas of uh, well, why don't we you know put the camera in the floor and you know pe- you know people around him would be like, well, you can't do that, and he's like, well, why can't we do that? Like this is the angle I want. We need to figure out a way to do it. And so like they they he literally coming from a, the- a theatrical background, a theater background, uh, ultimately changed the way that movies were shot. Um, because almost because he was ignorant to any kind of rules that had been pre-established at that time in in filmmaking. Yeah, I hear you. Because yeah, a lot of what brilliant. a lot of what they teach is is rules as far as when you go to, to you know traditional filmmaking schools, you know like the one hundred and eighty degree rule. rule yeah, yeah, things you know just things like that. That um, that if you never heard that, you might just kind of break these rules. I've never thought of Orson Welles that way, the way you said there, that the theater background caused him to break rules due to ignorance. And then you might end up with magic, you know? So that's that's what you had there. So I was going to ask you, though, Matt, is do you have, like, anything, like, upcoming, upcoming projects lined up at all? Like, I know the pandemic going on, I, I I understand your, I I guess I wrote that question upcoming projects right before part of our conversation went on, <laughs> but do you have anything lined up or is it just kind of all waiting to line up? Is, well, right like, now there, because ultimately we can't we can't go out and and film anything for anybody. I'm I'm doing a lot of writing right now, which is really nice. So I've, I'm actually working on three separate scripts right now. Um, one is a collaboration with two other writers. Uh, which is actually set in time in the time of the pandemic, which is pretty interesting. And obviously, you know, it's nice to have um, two 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 other filmmakers that I'm working with. I don't really want to give too much away with that. Um, but uh, they they've made some pretty cool uh, pretty cool movies uh, in their own right. And so we're 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 doing that uh, together as you know as like uh, I think we're going to try to make it a you know feature length uh, script. So. But um, two other solo things by myself, but uh, we do have, um, tomorrow night I'm actually uh, doing a Zoom meeting with uh, a bunch of actors and uh, two of the lead actors uh, that I had, like I was talking about earlier, about uh, Circle Michigan taking it out to Los Angeles last year uh, to do the live read in front of the TV execs. We're going to be recording a live reading of the pilot episode tomorrow via zoom with a bunch of us and uh that will actually be pretty fun and a a nice thing to revisit while we're in the midst of staying in and quarantining and and uh it's going to be available online on the 9th i believe so yeah that's the wait this uh you're going to put that Zoom recording online. Yes, so people could actually watch us do a, like, it'll be pretty much like a live table read of the pilot episode, so. That's interesting. That, that's a different approach. I feel like, is that something you think you would have done pre-pandemic as far as, well, I get the script itself sounds like it's pandemic-based, but putting it out, uh, uh, the script read-through out online, I don't think I've ever heard of anybody 
doing that before. Well, this is obviously this is Circle Michigan, so this is something that you know um, already has test footage. Uh, oh. And you know, from from a few years ago, and uh, it's it's already you know it's it's been out there into the world as far as like um, script running competitions and stuff like that. And again, you know, we had taken it to LA last year and and did the uh, did the live read out there. Uh, so it's just it's something that that for me it's 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 I think one of my most mature works to date that I've ever written, and um, I think it's an important project for me to stick with it's like anything else you know like uh, even you know almost six years later potential inertia still lives out there and is still playing in film festivals which is crazy but you know if you believe in something enough i and you stick with it enough you know ultimately it will it will have uh have some kind of fruition to it now uh this is not something uh, the zoom meeting is not something that i probably would have thought to do um pre-pandemic but uh, it was really, really cool because I, I had been seeing uh, some television shows uh, getting uh, their casts back together and uh, doing live reads of like their favorite episodes and stuff like that uh, via Zoom and, and uh, uh, similar technologies. So I thought, you know, this would be a really nice way to get the act, like, like, cause every actor that I have in, uh, that's going to be involved in the reading has some kind of tie to the project uh, anyway. And so I think it'll be a nice way for us to come together and uh, tell the story in a way that's reachable to everybody and entertain, hopefully entertain people at the same time. So, yeah, that, that actually brings me to a whole other thing that I didn't plan on talking about today, but you, I, I heard that you had a, 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 a competition section in the oil valley film festival that had to do with uh it was like a, a best screenplay like like it was just screenplays themselves that were right we changed. do have we do actually have a a uh writing a screenwriting competition for short screenplays um television pilots hour-long television pilots and feature-length screenplays now that is this is the last year that's actually going to take place because i'm i'm launching um, the Cinematech uh, International Screenwriting Competition, uh, which is actually live now. It's it's live online. Um, I, I talk about it on Twitter all the time because I wanted to be able to focus more on just film for the film festival and keep the keep the writing aspect outside of 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 just the film festival itself. Yeah. Okay. I can see what you're getting at there because when I actually first saw it, I was thinking. How does one actually present that? Like, is it is it just like a panel of people reading the scripts, and then you get well, together? It's not, and pitch? it's not an actual live. Uh, it's not an actual live event. The the screenwriting competition in and of itself. It's it's literally us judges sitting down and reading script after script after script, and you know choosing a winner based on you know breaking it down and and and, and judging these scripts. It's like any other competition that you would do it's like a, any other you know you're, you're judging the screenplay as if you were judging the film but out, you know it's obviously it's just it's on paper that's all yeah okay well that makes sense i i uh my when i read that you had that i actually heard about it through people here it, it, it part people part of nafco um somebody had been like what's that and i'm like i i understood what it was and i just described it and i said 
it must be that he, he's uh, just their judging just scripts themselves, it, which is um, a competition that I, for one, would not want to have to host. And what I'm <laughs> getting at there is that I do not. That's actually how, what I put in the description, too, because I do not like the concept of reading very much. Like, oh, yeah. I will read small things. Yes, I, I'm not a big book reader. Uh, I, I will read articles. I like mostly like nonfiction kind of news article kind of stuff. Uh, but I don't. So I'm I'm very much literate. It's not that. It's I think it's it's school probably took all the fun of reading long. That's things. quite possible. That is quite possible. I mean, it's it's when you're forced to read, it always feels forced. Obviously, because you are being forced to read. Um, and in a sense, I do have a responsibility every year that I do have to read these you know these submissions. Um, but the thing is, for me, as a writer. Uh, and especially somebody who focuses a lot more on uh, on writing screenplays than uh, anything else. I do write prose, I do write poetry, I do write um, short form and long form, whatever. Um, but for me, I think reading screenplays, especially well-written screenplays, gives me an advantage as a writer because I can learn what works and what doesn't work from other people. And so then when I go to sit down and write my own stuff, I feel a little bit more prepared because I'm, I'm more, um, I'm more aware of what works and what doesn't. So I'm whatever, you know, whatever comes out, comes out, but, um, you know, what might work one way I thought, you know, two years ago, uh, would be a great way to write something. Like if I see somebody else do something similar, but in a, a, a way that's, way more comprehensible on the page it's i think it's kind of an advantage for me and it's it's a it's i use it as kind of like a learning tool in a sense too on top of just you know not only sitting down and having to do this as part of the film festival but i i i'm trying to look at it in a positive way for myself individually as a writer because i'm i'm getting more out of it than just going through the motions of reading something and judging it I get you. Yeah, one thing, one of my curses, of, that makes sense that it gives you, yeah, I, I hear you. One of my curses of this whole, like, not liking the read stuff is that I'll get invited to help put together a film that has a, uh, that's a, a, a book adaptation, or adaptation of a book, however, mm -hmm. you know, however we, whichever way you want to word that. And I, I'm usually kind of like, why can't I just watch this when the movie comes out? And then I realize, oh, yeah, I'm the one trying to make the movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's just sort of one of those, like, ah, I guess I'll read the book. But uh, it's happened to me only a couple times. But and then there was one book that it's actually Hartwood, uh, which is a poet laureate uh, of uh, Pennsylvania, wrote it. And we were trying to... Nap yes, I actually, I have, a, I have a copy of it. Uh, I, I have James, a Kindle James, Yeah, James gave me a copy of it. Yeah, they they ran out of print of it actually. Like I, they might may have reprinted it. Uh, you know, another edition or you know, second printing rather. Yes. Now my, I, I, they have okay. Cause I I last I saw. Oh, I mean, I understand what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. if they have or not. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. So when I uh, I, I could only get a Kindle copy. And I remember just struggling through this book, and it wasn't because it was a bad book by any means. It was purely just because the whole time I just wanted the book to come out. 
or, or the movie to come out so right. I could watch it. You know, but then when you're the one making it, you know, it's what I was saying earlier. But then the production kind of ended up tailing off. It could still happen one day, but the things happened that I wasn't really that involved with because um, I had just moved to the area when they were getting that going. And, and the bottom kind of fell out of it. So then I just stopped reading it. I was only like a third of the way through the book. And I was just kind of like, ah, now I don't, you know, it didn't have a reason to, to keep reading it. And it was not a bad book, just I, I just lost the motivation to continue reading it because I was only reading it just so that way I knew what I was making the movie about. Right. So, and I wasn't going to be like the main guy on that. I was just going to kind of be a helper, but I wanted yeah. to know what source content was. See me, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I like, I just like to be taken away from reality for a while and like if i really if i get into something man I, you know there's i i have to finish I, I can't put it down until it's done for for some reason man just that that escape that that pulled away into uh you know i'm able to forget about uh the crappy stuff and that's happening in reality and especially right now like i've been catching up on a lot of uh television shows over the past couple of years that I've missed and, uh, and missed out on. And, and, uh, so that's been, it's been nice to escape into books and screenplays and TV shows. And, and, uh, for me, and it's just been a nice escape, I guess, in, in that sense. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the catching up thing during the pandemic and how and I brought that up earlier, how we can't make new right now, but we can right. watch the old and, and, Fortunately, with film, there's there's over 100 years of backlog here, and, yeah. and that's that's an issue that I ran into with with going to being when I was in school and I was like, oh, I'm a film major, you know, I'm just at like some college house party and I'd say, oh, I'm a film major, and next thing you know, everybody's shooting all these. Oh, have you seen that movie? Have you seen that movie? Oh, oh yeah. what about this one? And I'm like, no, no, I have no, <laughs> you know, you've mentioned a couple of films I haven't seen, like the uh, what was that? I'm going to get the acronym wrong, but SRG Punk, you SLC, mentioned that SLC Punk. SLC yeah. Punk. I'm not even sure if we were recording then. I don't think no, we, we were not. But, no, we were not. But anyway, the point is it came up and I said, I haven't seen it, but it's a movie I wanted to see. Yes, you'll and have to so, check that out. Yeah, I do. Exactly. But it, it gets really annoying when you tell people that you're involved with film. And then as soon as you don't know a movie... The first thing you hear is like, I can't believe you haven't seen that movie. Oh, my God. You got to watch that movie. But see, and I'm they, I'm usually that person to people that haven't seen a lot of movies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're the oh, my God guy. Okay. Yeah, I, <laughs> and I end up being the oh, my God. And then I, feel, then I feel bad because it's like, well, you know, not everybody likes movies as much as I do. So then, I, yeah, then I just feel like an ass. <laughs> Well, yeah, okay, I guess I see. But, well, yeah, so then what happens to me is, like, and that's what I've said to people, too. I'm like, when they, after, like, a year or two of this, I'm just like, I shouldn't be, like, I kind of felt, like, bad every time, briefly, the first couple times it happened to me. And then after a year or two of it, like, the second half of college, I was just like, Dude, there's a hundred years of backlog of, of films. I can't watch them all. There's not enough time in the day. And so the everybody having to slow down during this whole pandemic, they've been able to go back and watch things. Like I, I've been able to go back and watch like not you know, their recent movies, but the current Oscar best best picture nominations. I've been able to watch all of them now. And so 
no, well, and there's like a couple that because I don't have Netflix at the moment, and I should I should just get Netflix back. But I was I was piggybacking off of somebody. I'm actually I've never paid for a month of Netflix in my life, and finally, oh nice, yeah, finally that's ran out. But I've had Netflix like <laughs> since I was like 15 or so. But finally, isn't that normal though? Isn't like doesn't like if like one of your buddies has a Netflix account, doesn't like like doesn't that mean like six of you get it? You know, so like. <laughs> I yeah. think that's a normal thing. Like the like the amount of Netflix subscriptions is just astronomical anyway. But like the amount of actual counted Netflix viewers or uncounted Netflix viewers is like five or yeah. six times what what the actual count is. Yeah, well they try to limit that with the whole like screen. Right. You can only like share up to two count. screens or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still like um my favorite one though is honestly it happened twice. Two, I've 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 actually had girlfriends who like one was an actual girlfriend was paying for it, and I managed to keep her account because she just never changed the password and didn't think about that when we broke up. Nice. And I just never mentioned it to her. And then the next one was, and then I had another girlfriend later on, and uh, and her family paid for it. She was kind of a spoiled brat, so I just. I really didn't give a crap about that one because she wasn't even paying for it. it was like, her parent, one owned a laundromat and one was a professor. And they just, nobody <laughs> noticed the fact that I just still kept the account. And then, uh, yeah, so now, it, then, then it was my father who, then he passed away, but uh, uh, this past year. But then, oh. his, yeah. yeah. Oh, I think I remember, I remember you mentioning something about that. I, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, well, thanks for, your condolences, but that, that was, uh, yeah, it was, he passed away in, uh, or late September this past, you know, 2019 here, but yeah, well, we, uh, sorry, think, well, yeah, well, thanks, but he, what I'm getting at here is that he was paying for my account in, which was kind of normal. And then he, uh, his sort of, um, widowed, oh, my Siri just kicked on. Anyway. My his sort of widowed fiance just kept paying for the account, and I just kept logging and using it, and she just like never noticed until one day she kept getting like just hit up with all these like apparently she just didn't know that we had a I, I, me and my siblings had access to the account, right. so when she called up to complain about billing because she just forgot to cancel the service, right. like we weren't costing her anything extra. She calls up and can't to cancel the service, and they just say how like, well, you know, there's three other accounts within the account, you know, <laughs> the little sub accounts, and she hears my name and my sister's name and in her name and my deceased father's name, and she's like, she immediately turns around because she didn't understand that that didn't right. actually cost her any money because she's in her late 60s and she doesn't fully understand the way technology works, and she calls up. And she just calls me up to just bitch at me about Aww. using that account. I know, and I was just kind of like, I'm sorry, but like, yeah, he did say we could use it. And then, yeah, I mean, I, I will say this. It was it was actually the rudest thing. <laughs> the rudest thing she's, one of the rudest things she said, well, your dad's dead, so you don't need to be using it anymore. And I was kind of <laughs> like, wow, okay. You know, all this spawned off of just like, not understanding how technology works and the fact that that didn't actually cost Yeah, anything. I mean, I would have just asked her. I would have been like, do you not understand that uh, you need to cancel this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, because then she followed it. Well, I didn't get a chance to because she was following it up with, I'm canceling the account. And it was just like, okay. 
you know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, just let it be. You know, I just I wasn't looking for an argument. She kind of right. was. Right. And it was just like, wow, though. <laughs> um, so now now I don't have anybody to mooch off of. And so, oh, much. I, yeah, <laughs> which it is what it is. But um, I'll have to, you know, be my own adult and get my own account here soon. Um I, I just haven't yet. So I haven't seen The Irishman. Where I'm going at that is I haven't seen The Irishman. I think it's um, A Marriage Story, which yes. are the two best picture films that were Netflix exclusives. Yes. So I haven't seen those yet. Um, Both are pretty damn amazing movies. Yeah, I really want to see The Irishman more than I want to see um, marriage, the mar- uh, A Marriage Story. But I, I am curious to see Adam Driver uh, as something other than Kylo Ren, because I really yeah have... that that film in and of itself kind of rips rips your guts out. It's really it's tough to watch, especially if you've ever gone through anything similar to that. And um, it's man, it's it's pretty hardcore. It is. It's a good. It's a good flick. Is it more about? Uh, is it mostly about a divorce? I, I don't spoil it for me. Well, I'll, I'll just I'll just let you watch it. I'll just let you. Watch okay. It. All right. All right. Yeah. The lady. Okay. And and the Irishman though it's Martin Scorsese, which I say Scorsese. Do you say Scorsese or Scorsese? Because I'm not sure what's correct anymore. It's Scorsese. That's that's the Scorsese. actual correct, correct pronunciation. Yeah, I've heard Scorsese. people. I've heard people botch it, and I, I just yeah. Don't... But you're you're living in Pennsylvania where people say Warsh and Crick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. Uh, Martin Scorsese, though, did you did you watch the Academy Awards this past year? Uh, I did. I believe I did. Yeah. Well, did you see him like everything's like running together for me right now? That's okay. It's it's, it's pandemic brain happening. I get you. Well, when that happened, I, I I immediately died laughing, and people actually put memes up too after the fact of uh, Martin Scorsese just about nodding off slash looking just. Oh not- yeah. Did- yeah. I that, remember that yeah, happening. Yeah. Eminem. When they were doing the M and M's, uh, which I honestly that made no sense to me why they had him do. Um, well, the thing is, he he so, won. He actually won an Academy Award for that song, uh, and was never able to actually perform it on the show when yeah. it won because I don't think he was even actually able to be there when it won, and so they kind of just gave him that moment uh, to be able to come, uh, you know, on the show and perform that song. So you know, so many years later. Um, because he never had the opportunity to do it before. And, you know, at that point in time, he was available and they probably were just like, you know what, let's surprise some people anyway. Let's do something a little different. So we'll bring him on because he never got to perform it. And like, I thought it was great. I thought it was just awesome. Yeah, no, I, I didn't mind it. It just, I, I just really thought Martin Scorsese's reaction was hilarious. Cause oh, he just, of course. Yeah. Like, he was so like, like <laughs> boomer about it, which I absolutely love that the phrase "boomer" took off. By the way, because I, I I was one of the people that like I I I was hearing about right when it initially happened because mm-hmm. uh, I watch a show that just does me, uh, media analysis, like they call it media assassination, but it's a analysis of media in a very hardcore way. It's another podcast that right. I, I all even promote here on the show is no agenda show. I recommend to anybody that's cu- curious about like the inner workings of media and how. Um, how they use rhetoric and the way that they don't things aren't so accidental and sometimes they will p- promote articles for their own purposes for instance um, 
like on ABC, you'll always see like the new Disney flick. They're always going to have that promoted through native advertising, which is like there's just going to be like it's a news article, but it's about that movie that's coming out. Right. NBC is going to have the Universal pictures and stuff yep. like that. So my point being is, is uh, where am I going with this? That I promotion heard of the it's, it's pretty happen. much promoting yeah. their own parent companies. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. And because um, their biggest money maker, back to film though, their their biggest money maker is film. At the end of the day, uh, you know, a- ABC and NBC. Uh, well, okay, so Disney's biggest moneymaker are the films, and then they can take the films and they can make an amusement park ride out of it. Same thing with Universal, which is owned by Comcast. It's but all brand. Everything's brandable now. Everything's just all under a brand. Yeah, you know, and that's that's part of why I think there's so many people that are into the indie filmmaking scene. Uh, is because it's less uh, it's less crammed down the throat is, is my phrase for when it's over promoted and then it's also we tend to create things that are more clever than they are just like let's create as much explosions as we can well I think we're not really answering to anybody um, we're not asking permission we're not having to ask permission to do things and uh, that's another important thing that 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 uh, uh, being a independent creative person uh, allows you to do is is the fact that too many there's too many people even some folks in, you know within the indie community itself uh, look other places for validation or permission to to do something instead of just going and doing it and and saying the things that you want to say and and I think that's important that we do that. Yeah, well, exactly. Like right now, a lot of people are really noticing it. I don't think Americans minded it so much when it was like their own corporations, but now the Chinese government is getting involved with what American films are able to put out. I think that's it's entering another level of like public um, public awareness of of the issue of censorship through these big big mass media films that are coming out. You know. Um, like and that's through like it's through the censorship because they want to get that Chinese market right and then that's, yeah in order to get yeah. the Chinese market they got to satisfy the Chinese government with their film mm-hmm. and so a lot of films see uh, Disney doesn't really right now see much point in making a film that's not gonna actually also see the Chinese market yeah it, I'm, uh, well that you know you look at the studio system right now and and you know people always ask me. Why are people remaking everything so much? Why are all these reboots? Why isn't there anything original? Well, well the, the fact of the matter is studios don't really care so much about domestic box office anymore. Uh, their number one thing is an international box office. And the thing that sells tickets, because there's more people. There's, you know, there's less Americans than there are the rest of the world. Uh, more moviegoers outside of the domestic box office. And so Hollywood as a as a, a a a global I guess conglomerate in a sense in the studio system in and of itself as a, a conglomerate gives precedent to the international audiences because uh, along with uh, uh, like to go back to the whole reboot thing uh, international audiences want to see characters that are already established that they already know stories that they already know and so Hollywood is catering to the where the money is. 
uh, which is the international uh, audience. And so that's why you're seeing all these films from the past 30, 40 years getting reboots and remakes because those audiences who love American movies, who know those American stories that are already established, they know that they're going to pay money to go see those films. And so that's why we're getting the reboots and that's why we're getting uh, the remakes of things uh, nowadays more than anything else. And, you know, it's, it's everything to do with that international box office. And that's where the money's at. So I've actually never heard that, that concept before. Uh, and it's probably fact, I believe you. What I'm saying is, is um, what, what's drawing them? They want to see things that they already know. Uh, yes. And, but being that you said that, just I'm I just my own thought that I'm just adding in here might be nothing to it. But I think that a lot of these things might have been released in a time where they weren't putting these out into theaters for these international audiences, and that right. they only kind of got hold of like an old VHS tape because you see kind yep. of that that general thing like uh, Pakistanis that just have. Um, it, it, I mean, this is kind of like uh, stereotyping here a little bit. That's kind of the point I'm making oh, is where that you have the, well, uh, just not the people, but the technology that they were getting old. Uh, it, it's pop culture stereotypes that I'm just just mentioning. Yeah, where they have like just a VHS tape from the '80s that they're still watching in the. Uh, mid two thousands because that's just right. kind of what they have. Borat brings what's that. A, yeah, what's a, yeah, what is what there. whatever is available to them, they'll 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 eat it up. So, but now when you're yeah, well, now when you're you're making these making these uh, large blockbuster films, especially, uh, um, you're already going back to material that's that's uh, that's already been made. I mean, how many? You know, we just got we're just going to get another iteration of of Batman coming up with Robert Pattinson, you know, and you're seeing, they're remaking Home Alone because obviously people know Home Alone. Um, and, you know, there are generational gaps, so I get that. And But the parents of the people that are out now are going to have this, there's going to be this nostalgic factor along with it as well to where the fact that, oh, I saw the original, I love the original. If they can sell me on this one, um, even though it's not, quite the same movie it's still going to be nostalgic for me to go watch it and i'm going to take my kids to see it because obviously i if this will be their generation's home alone and so mm. you know there's there's all kinds of different factors that are at play when when you're you're these executives and that's the part of the problem is is it's these executives are are looking for money and not for content um because film is a business. Ultimately, the studios are businesses, and that's how they—that's just how they operate. And, and every once in a while, you'll get—you'll uh, get an executive that'll, you know, greenlight something really freaking amazing and original. And but you're—that's not what you're going to be seeing coming out of Hollywood, you know, in in today's world. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because um, it's easier to uh, kind of take i guess that line drive hit than it is necessarily to necessarily hit the home run with something that you like how do i put this it's a baseball analogy right it's it, yeah it, yeah to look for an improvement for this home run where it, you're better off taking the sure thing getting that line drive single with with something like a home alone remake than the home run right. which would be like kind of like a 
you know, at the they're, time, Pulp Fiction yeah, or something. The studios are going. The studios right? are going through the motions because they know that they'll be able to. They, they'll they'll be able to get at least get their money back on the stuff that they're putting out right now. And I mean, I get it. I mean, that's part of the game, and I get it. You know, that's that's just that's Hollywood. That's how Hollywood works. And you know, the one that where they didn't make anything really that new or that really innovative, and it flopped was Cats. It, it, that's that's I guess the example of what I think they thought was a line drive single, that just was like a, was a complete strikeout. You know, like I, I don't think that they. I still haven't seen it yet, and I'm scared well, to see it. I I wouldn't even. I, I mean, I'm kind of like personally, not going to bother paying for it. In, in my mind, <laughs> I actually, I, I, I this is kind of bad because really I should just be rooting for every filmmaker. Sure. To some extent, but I kind of enjoy watching in the like sort of this naughty side of me enjoys watching how much of that movie failed. I think part of it is uh, just to say, ha ha, you know, um, you can cram stuff down America's throat, but once in a while they're not going to listen just because you over advertise the crap out of something. Because like I, there was a while where I, every time well, I watched it, it's just a creepy TV, movie, like visually. I mean, even when when the first trailer dropped for it, I was just like, I that is a nightmare. I mean, so you're <laughs> right. But the other thing is, I, I think, like, uh, this is going to be a little risque to say, but I, I do think that people with a uh, a furry fetish might be quite interested, especially if they're into Taylor Swift at the same time. Well, yeah, because you it, got everything. Like, I get, you. you know, I've, I've read reviews. It's just, you know, obviously it's just it's just a bunch of CGI horny cats. It's like the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know there was a horny aspect. Apparently, they're all just infatuated with sex. Huh. <laughs> yeah, see, this... Again, it, haven't seen it, so don't, you know, yeah. don't quote me on that, but like... I guess we, neither of us have seen the Broadway play either, huh? He's like... <laughs> no, I know have, the musical. I do know the musical. Um, sure. And this obviously is a, a an entire, completely strange expansion of what that musical is oh it's not um, like just a movie edition of it it's really like they no. really, it's, yeah it's it's, it's a completely different beast of its own um huh. and so yeah it's that's 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 interesting to me what what I, one thing though that i do find like a barrier breaking in it is uh and actually they won a raspberry award a ra- raspberry award yes or uh yeah you heard about this for the patch that they had to put in, which is the first ever, first time, at least I know of, but I believe it is the first uh, <laughs> patch that they've made, just like a video game. Now we're in this era where right. the movies are just digital downloads to the theaters, and they're basically glorified TV to some extent. I, I do believe that, especially once they made the transition from it being a film to a Blu-ray disc, that's when, when I used to actually work for the Putnam Theater, which was associated with my college, um, I remember when I told people, oh, this, this one's a Blu-ray, I remember somebody just saying it's just glorified TV at that point, and I couldn't really necessarily say it wasn't. I just kind of nodded my head, or just kind of let him pay for the ticket or not. But he made a point there when he said that, which is, it, once you remove the film, it just it, it it does become one large television set to some extent. Uh, I mean, because it's projected, you're not dealing with the pixelation and everything, so you know you're able to get the larger image. However, you um now that they've made another leap from from film like leap 2.0 which is digital downloads to the theaters it's enabled them to have patches so the theatrical release 
doesn't have to be the final cut. And that's what happened with Cats, where they had the hands of the characters weren't CGI'd, which apparently was an error, which I can't believe in a $100 million film they would have mistakenly not noticed right. that. Well, they did have to go back in and redesign Sonic the Hedgehog from, like, from, like, just a whole start over, like, after they had released the movie, they, like... Or at least released into test screenings, and then like they had to hold off on release because the test screenings were so negative as far as like the way Sonic looked. Like they had to literally go back in and redesign the character from scratch. But that that could have been done back in the day before. Um, well, it, it, that's something that they Hollywood might have done, even old school Hollywood to some extent. Maybe not all old school, but I'm talking about at least '90s Hollywood could have done that. The test test screenings and stuff but i mean this i is, agree yeah, with you're you talking though, like, this is like already, already released yeah. you're already released and you're getting an update like like a, a patch for skyrim or something yes exactly just like a video game that's exactly what i was thinking of is, is the fact that they're approaching it the exact same way where they just kind of release a patch to to it so what does that say for film in the future is does that right. mean we're not going to have theatrical cuts we're going to have like it's just going to be like I feel like this next generation they're going to talk about how like the week one cut and then by the like and the week three cut is completely different or yeah. their scenes are in a different order or yeah I mean yeah I, I, do you do we really want movies to be that fluid or do we want them to live for what they are um, because I think as a filmmaker you know for me anyway once something's cut and it's out there like. I'm done with it. Like, that's yeah. just, that's it. I, um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sacrifice uh, my vision uh, to not, not necessarily, not necessarily sacrifice my vision to please, just to please audiences um, if I'm the one in charge of releasing. Now, if I'm, say, I'm working for uh, Paramount or something, that might be a different story. Obviously, I'm going to have to have a little leeway there, you know, because ultimately the movie isn't my movie. It's Paramount's movie, so therefore they're the boss. But, uh, you know, if I'm doing something independently, uh, yeah, I mean, there's no way there's no way I would want to ever just go back in and change something, you know, even 10 years from now, let alone next week. Yeah, and we're and, and that's what we're, you know, what we're both. Yeah, we're both on the same picture there. Because what does this change now due to the culture of film in the future? We haven't. It hasn't been long enough to see anything really come of it yet. Besides this hands thing with cats, but mm -hmm. it, it, down the road, it, it might become culturally the norm to change things. And what does that do? Because I'm I'm actually for the concept of a director's cut because that's enabling the director to go in and actually. Um, finish his vision it's not changing the director's right. vision it's finishing their vision because yeah. there was deadlines and they had to get it out because right. otherwise you know funding was going to dry up and they just need to get it in the theaters and yeah. it was also, finished enough to hit also theater. a director's cut fan yes yeah so so that but that's far different than releasing patches throughout its stay in theaters and then what happens to it even on dvd you can do it just like a video game, maybe even where this is actually just me thinking out loud here is that if you put the DVD in it, they could have it where there's like a hard drive in the DVD player. Cause right now a lot of people have moved on to using things like game systems and computers as their DVD players now right. or Blu-ray players. And you could have it 
down just like a video game in a console where you put it in it doesn't read the disc for the game anymore it actually reads the hard drive so it's made it so when you first put the game in it has to install to the hard drive plus download any patches that have come in from um from video or like from online rather sorry from the server from you know from the game developer and then it uh and then you can play the game once all that's set there and then it will constantly you know be looking for every day it looks for to see if there's any updates to that game or you know so what if you had that with with videos i don't like the concept of wag the dog becoming a whole different movie because it doesn't fit the narrative the u.s government wants to have right i also don't like you know the powers that be wanting eyes wide shut changing because it doesn't really sit well with people you know there's a lot of people that think Stanley Kubrick was quote heart attacked because of that that's kind of getting the conspiracy theory land and I don't really want to go too far down that road right, right now but what does that do for when a mo- uh, even an independent movie comes out and they people don't like what they somebody more powerful than you and I doesn't like what that said or what you know what what story that tells um i think that it it could look very draconian when you get into the image uh the theory of them being able to change rewrite history with with films because you'd have to you'd be forced into your dvds doing that to themselves and i think an original a truly original cut of thing could become a very black market thing um, where I mean, peer-to-peer networking already exists. Um, so I mean, that would be like the only savior I see into that um, to that potential draconian future. Um, which is this is also something I'm actually just thinking of on the fly right here. So I haven't. Thought just, of, this just seems like this just seems like a uh, like a really cool idea for like an episode of Black Mirror. <laughs> Yeah, I pretty much just created my own little, yeah, my own thing here, huh? Jeez, <laughs> um, and crow. Maybe I should probably write this down. Oh, you know what's great? I have this recorded because this is a podcast. Yeah, so you're so, good. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah so... <laughs> um, now... Yeah, but... Anyway, so, do you... I guess I was asking already about... You don't have anything already set. I guess you already kind of talked about things that you have set to release, huh? I don't um, have anything uh, anything to release right now. Yeah, not, nothing. Able to really shoot. On. Yeah, no. Okay, All right. and nothing from prior either. It's just mm-hmm. sitting on the shelf ready to go. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, I do want to. I think it's about time to call this podcast quits. Okay. Unless there's something you wanted to bring up for everybody, like where where can but what where can you uh be reached at it like is there any place where you want people to be able to reach you and or be able to um see your content anything like that or see your oil valley film festival um you well know, you can uh, obviously people can just go online and and google oil valley film festival uh it'll take you to you know our wikipedia page that explains you know gives you a little bit more information about the history of the festival and then there'll be a link to uh to film freeway which is uh uh, amazing submission platform and our page on there. Uh, so, you, you know, if you uh, want to submit something, you're more than welcome to. Um, you can find me online on Twitter at, at Matt Croyle and uh, on Instagram at Matt Croyle Official. Okay, well, there we have it. So, 
Matthew Coral, everybody, and thank you all for joining us for this episode of the NAFCO Entitled Podcast. Peace thank out. Thank you. Thank you so much, Perry. All right. Bye.